Hello, I'm Scott Soshkin. And I'm Evan Novi williams And this is the debut, the start, the inaugural <laughs> Sportycast. We are back at one. Yeah, what, what is that song? What? would take me down to, I don't know, one and we start. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, guys. We're now a music podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we always went all over the place, but you, you and I. But it uh, feels good to be back. Uh, it does, it does. We, we went from the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. Now we are Sportacast. It's the flagship show in the Sportico, what will be the podcast network. A bunch of our colleagues are going to join us in the coming weeks and months, and we'll have a bunch of offerings for you in the podcast world. Yeah, this is exciting, Scott. And for all the listeners out there, first of all, thanks for for joining us on, on on the new spot. And second of all, you know, let us know how you're feeling about things. Scott and I are going to be trying out some new things, trying out guests, things like that. Um, but we're going to be pretty flexible in the beginning. So if there's things you you hear that you like, things that you hear that you don't like, let us know, and we will uh, we will try to tailor the show uh, to be exactly what y'all are wanting, looking for. Did you just flash a y'all? I did. Where did that come from? I'm trying to, you know. I have a new persona now because it's a new show. You've been doing too much college football. Y'all is part of your <laughs> lexicon now. But so, some things will be constant, though, Evan, and this is not up for discussion. I will discuss my son's youth hockey. You know yep. that. Good weekend for no this past weekend. I'm not really supposed to mention where we played or anything like that, so I won't, you know, due to some COVID restrictions. But we had some fun. Uh, and I will also maintain the fact that the underscore in your Twitter handle is egregious never should have been done in the first place and should be changed even at this point. <laughs> there we go. So we've settled back into our old routines. Uh, and to that, that feels like a good time to transition to uh, sports business. Yeah, we had a big day uh, earlier in the week. We had a bunch of luminaries in the basketball world discussing our NBA valuations done by Peter Schwartz. I mean, I'm just going to read off the folks who, who took part in our event because it's that good. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the league, Steve Ballmer, Clippers owner, Wick Grosbeck, owner of the Celtics, Mark Lassery, owner of the Bucks, Ted Leonsis, owner of the Wizards, Michelle Roberts, head of the Players Association, and uh, two bankers, of course, Don Cornwell over at PJT and Lyle A's of Veerance Capital. Uh, I mean, what an insane discussion we had uh, about all things valuation and business of basketball. Yeah, I want to ask you what your takeaways were, but but first I want to kind of highlight the valuations you know, that Peter Schwartz did. For folks who haven't seen them, I recommend you check them out at Sportico.com. But for some big top-line numbers, the most valuable franchise in the NBA, the New York Knicks, valued at $5.42 billion. The least valuable, the Pelicans, $1.35 billion. The median franchise, the Portland Trailblazers, they're number 15. They're at $1.91 billion. And the average franchise, $2.4 billion. Pretty, yeah. pretty incredible numbers. You know, I, I, it's funny. I was thinking, Scott, if you remember this back in 2014, when the Milwaukee Bucks were sold to Mark Lazary and Wes Edens, then an NBA record $550 million. I remember you and I looking at each other and thinking, wow, that's a that's a lot of money. Like, it's they're, they're really making a, a risky bet on the NBA and its future. Uh, that franchise is now worth over $1.8 billion. Uh, so it's clear that, that, that Lazary and Edens have uh, <laughs> knew something or, or have turned out to, to have made a great investment. But it's pretty wild to see the NBA valuation soar this much this quickly. Yeah, well, one of the things Peter really highlights is that the teams aren't just teams anymore. You know, the mom and pop, operation. I love it. And I always go back to this, this scene because it's so perfect. There's a Simpson scene where I don't know if it's Homer or somebody's walking into the hardware store and the huge sign says mom and pop hardware. 
And then there's a teeny, teeny sign next to the door when you walk in and you either see it or you don't. They don't really highlight it. You either see it or you don't. And it says a division of global dominance, Inc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's what this is. You know, uh, the, the teams are the hub around which all the other businesses, uh, whether it be media, whether it be real estate, whether it be an incubator, they're just hubs uh, around which these other businesses can, can circle. So uh, some of the teams are getting to the point where maybe the value of the outside interests will eclipse the teams themselves. But the popularity of the team itself will always be sort of that anchor tenant. Yeah, and we can toss we can toss out some examples there. You know, Monumental Sports in Washington feels like a great example, right? They have NHL franchise, NBA franchise, a W franchise, a few other development teams, esports. They own a chunk of their media network. The RSN, they have, yep. you know, real estate holdings. Obviously, of course, um, they're doing you know investing across other sports technology well, platforms. What, what, what was it that Ted said to put it in the business terms? He said, "Monumental, Monumental is, alphabet. is alphabet. The Wizards are Google." Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that a, really a much bigger company with a with a very public facing thing that is kind of the anchor to it. Um, and another great example, you know, the second most valuable team in the league, according to Peter, the Golden State Warriors, uh, just from the real estate that they're building in San Francisco, you know, their their non you know direct team related revenue is is kind of soaring through the roof just because. They have their own venue. It's brand new. It has a lot of suites. It has a lot of kind of high premium tickets and a high premium seating when you can sell those again. And that's going to be tremendously valuable for them. Yeah, the pent up demand. You just feel it, don't you? When sports and entertainment returns, the rush of these crowds to get back to it, when they do feel safe going back into arena. I mean, it is palpable. You do know that fans are just waiting to get back into these buildings. Yeah, I'm really curious about that um, because we've seen, at least right now, and granted, you know, the vaccine rollout is is it very pre- premature. It's in early stages. So, you know, people don't have the vaccine. Sports fans largely don't. But the teams that have allowed sports fans to come in, right, the, the Arizona Coyotes are a perfect example. They're allowing about 3,000 fans per game right now. They haven't hit that capacity yet in any of their first two or three home games. We saw it in college football a lot. The, the teams that, are, that have limited capacity have not yet really been able to really sell out that limited capacity. Evan, I have a great idea. Yeah. Who, who's getting vaccinated first? We, we have like healthcare workers, teachers. Teachers, yep. And folks over a certain age. I think mm-hmm. it was reduced to 65 to get it quicker. Those should be the first crowds we see. Could you imagine 20,000 octogenarians packing <laughs> Madison Square Garden to cheer for the Knicks? Well, the Arizona Coyotes feel like location-wise, they're at a yeah, pretty yeah. good place to, to try that. We'll send our very own Barry Bloom. He fits in all our demos. Didn't Roger Goodell discuss kind of this idea earlier this year about the Super Bowl, that, that there may be a way if you're not going to have, you know, a full 60, 70,000 people at the Super Bowl, there may be a way to bring down vaccinated healthcare yes. workers yes. as a way to maybe pack the stadium and also, you know, give tribute and, and thank them for, for the things they've done this year. I think it's a great idea. Um, and going back to your original point and question, you know, that, that relies on people wanting to do that right now. And I think at least personally – the first time I'm in a screaming stadium again, there's going to be something in the back of my brain that's like, hmm, do we do we do this still? Yeah, like, let's just this, let's should, just divert all the this? let's just divert all the blue-haired people on the buses to Atlantic City to the sport events. You know, we'll try it. We can go to Philadelphia, <laughs> New York, <laughs> New Jersey. Let's just see how that goes that way first. We can one of the things. Tickets. 
one of the things Peter did did so well, I think, and really interesting in that valuations, he, he talked about the effect this exact conversation is having on valuations, right? The COVID effect. And it was a bit smaller, I think, than a lot of people would uh, would have guessed. About 2% was what he said the valuation ding for, for these franchises was because of COVID. But not just in the theoretical e either. I mean, we had a real-life example of Jim Pilata dumping his LP stake in the Celtics, and it was purchased by Steve Paliuka, one of the, you know, one of the partners there already. And there was very little, if any, COVID discount based on our valuation. And Adam said as much, Adam Silver, he said, we're going to get past this. So people know that the full faith and credit of all the revenue streams of the NBA will return once people can get back in the building. But speaking of vaccinations, I mean, that's another thing I took away, that there are discussions going on right now between the NBA and I would think the, the Biden team about getting players vaccinated as a public service announcement, because certain aspects, you know, um, black Americans um, maybe don't trust vaccines, Adam said, and maybe if they could see LeBron James and Steph Curry uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got his publicly. Perhaps that could really spark others to actually go and accept the vaccination. Yeah, it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting question, and you know, there's a very cynical way to to look at that, right? Which is like, oh, of course they want to get the vaccine because it's going to help their business tremendously. But yeah, certainly there's there's power that these sports leagues have. You know, I, I think that the you can maybe draw a line between that and and also the what they did during, you know, election, the fact that they were opening their doors to, to voting, just kind of bringing, you know, ideas and, you know, opening that, that, that up to, you know, people that for whom, when they see that message actually may, it may impact their decision-making. I think that's actually fairly powerful. Um, we'll see, you know, it's Roger Goodell has been very adamant, you know, NFL players are not going to cut the line. We, we will not. They, that's the I, message. I, I you have to understand I the message. We won't exactly. jump the line. Exactly. And I would imagine that maybe behind the scenes, the NFL is also thinking about the same stuff Adam is, because if it does this a public good and also helps, you know, the business tremendously, I think there's 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 always going to be people exploring those options. Let's talk uh, about the NFL for a moment, by the way. Yeah. Evan, the NFL, I mean, early on, it did not look as if they would complete a season. They had a big outbreak in, in almost immediately. And here we are in the championship games. I mean, this is really one heck of a job that the NFL has done getting to this point. Man, I hear your phone ringing there, buddy. Um, oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, and it's it's on vibrate. It's all good. It's, it's, all good. it's um, on the table next to the microphone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the NFL, you know, it's, it's, it's a testament, I think in some ways to the, the protocols that they put in place. And a lot of people love to criticize the NFL. Let's remember, I don't believe they canceled a single game, right? The, the NHL season is, is yep. a week old. They've already canceled a handful of games. Same with the NBA season, college football canceled. I don't remember the final tally, but like 160 games during the year, the, the NFL had to cancel, had to postpone a few of them. They moved the schedule around a little they they played every single game, um, and so far in the playoffs they've been able to pay to play every single game. Uh, so absolutely, kudos to the league. They have you know some advantages in that they play once a week, which makes things a little easier than, than baseball, baseball, hockey, and and basketball. Outdoors certainly helps as well. Um, they're doing the genomic sequence testing, uh, which I actually think is going to be a pretty interesting. You know, they're essentially doing a longitudinal study across thirty two cities about, you know, specific strains of vaccine, how they transfer. You know, if you hear Dr. Sills, who's the NFL doctor, talk about what they're doing, he knows and the NFL knows when when player X tests positive, he knows if if he got it because he was in contact with, you know, the strength coach because yeah, which, which they, they know the strain the yeah. or they know if player X got it in their own community because it's a totally different strain than, than what someone else in the building 
may have caught in the past. Uh, so certainly the NFL, they have the money, right? They're, they're a good example of a, a private business that has a lot of cash and is willing to spend a lot of that cash to make sure that its employees are healthy and able to continue working. What do they say um, when you're selling a house? You have to spend money to make money? Well, exactly, that, that's where yeah. we are now in the professional the sports league. You is, have to be willing to that. spend money. And Joe Lacob has said he's willing to spend money on getting fans tested, rapid tests going into the building. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because you know the, the Buffalo Bills have had fans at their at their stadium for their two home playoff games. The way they did it is they added a surcharge to the ticket. They made everybody go to the stadium on, on yep. Wednesday or Thursday and get tested. It does sound very similar to the plan that the Warriors suggested a number of months ago, um, which essentially said they would test everybody that was going to come in the door. Uh, the city of San Francisco, I believe their their public health board essentially rejected the plan, mm -hmm. said that it said that it was too risky. Um, so we are certainly seeing, and this is going to be a trend, I think, over the next few months, the difference in the way that local government is approaching what sports teams are allowed to do is going to continue to be a big deal, I think, as we move deeper into both the hockey and the NBA seasons. Well, allow me to play promotion, man, but we do have a uh, a Sportico Live virtual event next week with Arcto Sports Partners on the return of fans to the arenas. And one of the people we have is Dr. Celine Gounder, who is a mm -hmm. member of Biden's task force of, you know, of COVID. Um, and we have some team owners, we'll have some team executives. Uh, we have Jerome Pickett of Clear. And it's a, it's gonna be an interesting discussion on the public health side versus the sports side versus the solution side. You know, how do we all work together to get what the optimal result, which is of course, people back in the building safely. Of course. And, and, and the legacy here may end up being, and Ted Leonsis mentioned this yesterday, that, you know, the, the reliance that teams have on, on in-game ticketing, right, which is depending on the team, depending on the sport, it could be 50%, it could be a little higher. Um, every team is looking for ways to minimize that reliance, right? There, there's only so many people that can come to a game already. And the, the pool of fans out there that, that you, can, you can get to interact with your sport is almost unlimited. Um, so if there's ways to kind of find more revenue streams that tap into those people without being so reliant on, on in-person fans, especially if they don't come back in droves, like some people are expecting them to, you know, that's going to be a big trend across all sports. Well, people better come back in droves to this podcast, the Sportacast, Devin <laughs> Novi Williams, Scott Soshnick back episode numero uno, excited to be back. Uh, let's pivot to the WNBA because it is, yeah. it is uh, something we talk about the NFL playoffs this time of year. We talk about the NBA this time of year. We're used to that. But we don't get a lot of WNBA coverage. But it seems the Atlanta Dream, part owned by Kelly Loeffler, um, uh, on the block. For, close, former Senator Kenny, Kelly Loeffler. Yeah, yeah uh, close to a sale. Very close to a sale. Let's hope this isn't dated by the time you know people listen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're very, very close to a sale. And the highlight here is, of course, you know, Kelly Loeffler in that um, she came out and said she does not support Black Lives Matter. Her players wore the T-shirt uh, encouraging folks to vote for her opponent in the election. Of course, her opponent did skyrocket in the polls and eventually did win. Um, so it's sort of the end of her tenure as a professional sports team owner, at least for now. Yeah, it's funny the, you know, I'll go back to the sale in a second, but the the data that's out there on kind of the, the polling yeah, that yeah. Loeffler and, and her opponent, yeah, uh, Rafael Warnock, Warnock yeah. yeah, the 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 stance, the very public stance that the players took um, 
actually had a pretty big impact. He it was polling at like eight or nine percent. Yeah, it, it, it helped him tremendously. It, it helped his fundraising significantly, kind of all right around when the players did it. So it, it wasn't like this was just, you know, nine women who were encouraging people to vote for somebody else. Uh, the fact that, you know, they're, you know, in the public eye and, and they have a pretty big platform actually did it had a had a profound effect on the election, which which Warnock obviously eventually won. Um, going back to the sale, uh, I believe that the owners are Mary and John Brock, right? And he's Correct. a former Coca-Cola CEO. Um, and, and if he sells, essentially, it means that she she has no say, that, that she essentially has to from give what up because he's the controlling it, it, Yeah, owner. from That's what I understand, she would go, the, the Loeffler piece would go as well. Gotcha. I would imagine that a lot of people in the WNBA will not be upset uh, to see that happen. And some interesting stuff, actually. I, I was reading the ESPN story on this. Apparently, Loeffler said that that since she invested in the dream uh, a couple of years ago, she's lost ten million dollars in the investment. We, we don't get much. Um, we don't get much insight into kind of the financials of the W. We don't get much insight into kind of the way its business relationship with the NBA runs, et cetera. There's certainly some momentum around, you know, women's sports nationally and certainly around the WNBA as well. And and they have a great, a brand new collective bargaining agreement, which we've discussed ad nauseum on a previous podcast that that, that kind of set the standard for the way that leagues and, and, and women's professional teams can, can coexist together. I am very interested to see how sponsors utilize this newfound power of female athletes. And this team in particular, the league uh, on, on, on a macro level, uh, it, I, I don't know, frankly, how it'll, how it'll turn out. I, I, I'm guessing that there will be increased sponsorship, viewership across the board for the WNBA, just based off the season and the power that the players have shown that they now possess. Yeah. And for people who are maybe doubting that power again, you know, the, there's a good chance that, you know, the, the women on the Atlanta dream help swing a senatorial election uh, and, and, and an election that also helps swing the, 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 the balance of power in, in the U.S. Senate. It doesn't get more get more powerful from, than that. Yeah, it almost came like a national referendum, but Georgia determined the direction of the country. Exactly. <laughs> it, it was it was it was something so uh, interesting to see how these players is capitalized the right word how they capitalize on on the newfound notoriety let's let's see what they do with their existing sponsors and new ones all right i want to pivot now to new jersey eben because i'm here my home state <laughs> your your yep, home yep. state <laughs> yeah do, can i say hello to my old friend from high school jared stein p- former pitcher at fairly dickinson university go check out the record books i'm sure he still holds a few but fairly dickinson is doing something that you months ago wrote about said athletic athletic department should do and it runs counter to what we've seen across the board. If you want to make money in athletics, you should be adding teams, not cutting them. Explain. Yeah. So, you know, we've certainly seen as the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of, you know, stretched and, and, and stressed athletic budgets around the country. A lot of schools are, you know, trying to limit their costs by eliminating programs. You know, most famously Stanford, you know, got rid of 11 varsity teams at once. Clemson, another high profile one, got rid of its men's track and cross country teams. Uh, there are some schools, smaller schools that are that are under enrolled. And by that, I mean schools that are looking to attract more students, have empty dorm rooms, have empty classrooms, et cetera. Uh, for, for schools like that, athletics actually serves a pretty valuable financial purpose. And that is that it helps as an en- enrollment recruitment. You know, the, it the, draws the players, students and applications students to the there. school. And Farley Dickinson is a perfect example of this. The, the athletic director and Brad uh, Hurlbutt, he talked to me on the phone earlier this week. You know, he made it clear there, there are people that go to Fairleigh Dickinson in New Jersey 
just because there's an athletic team there that they can play on. And that's valuable because if you look at smaller sports, and, and we're going to use women's lacrosse here as an example because this is one of the sports that Farley Dickinson is adding, um, the women's lacrosse team is going to have 35 to 40 students on it. The maximum allowable scholarships they can offer is 12 total. So if you do the math there, you're looking at potentially 28 student athletes that are paying full price to go to your school. When you have empty dorm rooms, when you have empty classrooms, the cost to educate those extra 28 people is vastly, vastly lower than the full cost of tuition that they're paying. And in that regard, the school comes out ahead. So what Farley Dickinson is doing, and it's interesting, and I think there's going to be a lot of schools, certainly in their class of, of D1 institutions that are going to pay attention. They're adding men's volleyball, they're adding women's lacrosse, and they're hoping that when you do the full accounting, including the tuition that these new students are going to be paying, that from a cash standpoint, the school comes out ahead. So how how you feeling after episode one? This is this feels a little like spring training. You know, we've got microphone. We're at home. You're at your place. I'm. I can see you. Yeah. But we've got the microphones to the side. We're going through the laptop. You know, you and I are used to doing this next to each other in the studio. You know, where's Michael Barr? We'll get maybe we'll have him on one day. <laughs> but how you you feel? You didn't pull a muscle. I feel good. good. Yeah, it's a little bit of rust. Yeah, the the phone call. You know, we'll, we'll iron those things out as uh, <laughs> as things go. But on the whole, it, it is good to be back here, Scott. I am excited about Sportico. I'm excited about what we're building, and I'm excited to share it with uh, with more people. I feel like I can't be excited because what folks don't know, our producer used to yell at me for going into the red. You know, uh, on the microphone levels, like if I laughed or too, I, we're at the same thing here. You and I are having a little software issue where if we go too loud, we're flashing into the red zone here. So I'm trying to keep myself measured in the green zone so that Matt, our producer, can put this together and we don't get phone calls saying, fellas, can you do that again? It's a new tone from Sashnik. It's a, it's a new tone for the understated Scott Sashnik. Don't get used to it, folks. As soon as I can figure out how I can get, you know, <laughs> sort of do my Chris Russo imitation for sports business, I'll be back at it. So episode one in the books. Thank you so much for listening. I am Scott Sashnik. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And we are the tandem of Sportacast. What did we say at the old show? You know, get this wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google. There's a lot of ways you can find us, but but wherever you get your podcasts is is, is a way you'll you'll be able to get it. All right, all good. Mm-hmm.